Hi, uh, my name is Melissa Potter, and I'm here today at Columbia College Chicago, where I'm a professor in the Interdisciplinary Arts Department. And I'm being helped today with this podcast by one of my students, Nick Sagan. Hi, Nick. And thank you so much for helping me out. Uh, I'm going to talk today about grant writing, and just by way of a quick introduction, I learned about this topic because I worked with the New York Foundation for the Arts um, back in the early 2000s, and I was the visual arts expert during the time that the Knifosource database was being developed. And so a lot of the information I'm going to talk about today is gleaned from that experience. I ended up traveling all over the country teaching grant writing, and that information mostly came from the database, which is now available online for any artist to search for grants. It's really the definitive resource, and in terms of the whole structure of this talk, I urge all artists to please go to www.nyfa.org and find the NIFA source database because it really is an invaluable um, piece of information for artists to do this kind of work. I then went on to work with the College Art Association where I designed a program with funding from the Tremaine Foundation to travel across the country and teach regionally specific topics in professional development. So I'm going to try also today to talk a little bit about things that are regionally specific because to some degree things still are um, designated by where you are in this country as an artist. So the first thing I just want to briefly discuss is understanding the kinds of programs that are available for artists. Artists often have very specific ideas about what does and doesn't exist out there, some of which is true and some of which is not. The great thing about the NIFA source database is it changed all that. We were able to catalog information in a totally new way and to help create new categories to help artists understand where funding is actually available. So the first, of course, which is usually the most interesting for artists, is cash awards. And those fall into two categories, unrestricted and restricted. Very simply, um, unrestricted funding is funding that's generally awarded on the merit of the work, and it's not restricted in terms of how you use it. Uh, New York Foundation for the Arts is a very good example of that. It allows you to spend the money on credit cards if you so wish, or on a project. Whereas with restricted funds, and I think of the Fulbright program as a really classic example of that, those funds have to be used for a specific program. So you usually have a much more specific project proposal, which is important to understand when you're looking at the whole picture of what it means to write grants and a lot more information required in terms of budgets and also in some cases in terms of accountability and follow-up. Another major category is scholarships. Artists are usually very confused about what this means and this is important to convey and that is that scholarships, the whole nomenclature that exists in the field doesn't necessarily match up with an artist's expectations for what that nomenclature is. So for instance, most artists are hoping that a scholarship may help them pay for travel or for school. Generally speaking, scholarships in this arena are special programs which are designated scholarships, but usually apply to funding at a particular institution. And the example that I use a lot is the Winterthur Museum, which has a wonderful, amazing program for artists to come 
and work in their special collections, and they call this a scholarship. An artist might expect this to be more like an artist-in-residence program, but that's what they call it. Other programs, major categories include space programs. I think of the example of something like the Smack Mellon program in New York as a classic example. They exist primarily in places where space is at such a premium it is prohibitively expensive for artists, so you see these programs a lot in major cities. Equipment access, similar to space programs, these programs tend to exist also in large cities, in areas where space is at a premium, and in media that are very difficult to access without large amounts of equipment. So there are a lot of printmaking, tech-type programs, there are a lot of sound and video-type programs. Photography is another area where, where one would see a lot of equipment access related uh, programming. And an example of this I think of is like the iBeam program, very famous program, or the Lower East Side Print Shop. And then finally, this constitutes a huge share of what's available to artists, artists in residency programs. I'm not sure what the new numbers are, but at the time that I was working on Knife Source, this was somewhere in the 30% of what was available to artists range. And I think that that has to do with the fact in some cases, not all, it's less expensive to run an artist residency program and get a lot of in-kind support than it is to run cash grants. It's also important to mention when we talk about all these different programs that the landscape, particularly in light of the economy, is changing very quickly. And so all of these statistics about what may or may not exist really require an artist to be vigilant in terms of the kind of research that they do so they understand at any moment in time what is truly available to them at any given moment. Once someone undertakes extensive research in the NIFA source database, which I really think uh, takes maybe if an artist sits down and does two to three hours of really hardcore research, specifically in the uh, grants and programming available for artists. What one realizes very quickly is that there generally are only a handful of programs that one is eligible for at any given time. That doesn't mean that that's what one would be eligible for at any time in, over the course of an entire career, but it is sobering to understand that if you really do your research, and you're really careful about looking at what the organizations request and, and expect of artists, that usually what you're looking at is between three and maximum ten programs at any given time that one could really apply for. So I often talk to artists about research as really being the cornerstone of grant writing, that good research is really 50% of the equation. So I hope that this will inspire you to get going and do your own research and find out what you're actually eligible for. Part of that research is also to do homework on the funder and to really understand the mission of that organization. But even beyond that, the kinds of artists that they've granted in the past, the kinds of artists that, that are their current grantees, and to really ask honestly and even call in your peer group if you feel uncomfortable making this assessment on your own, to really ask yourself honestly if in fact your work at that particular time lines up with the organization's mission. Nothing is more frustrating than spending a huge amount of time on grant applications that in many cases are only $500 to $2,000 
and not receiving them because at the end of the day you really didn't fall in line with what they what they do. And an interesting aside that we found in the research for NIFA Source is that uh, most grants for individual artists that one can apply for are under are two thousand dollars on average. So that's important to understand that uh, time management is a huge issue regarding this. In order to organize your life for applications, I always suggest that artists try to project out minimum six months and ideally up to a year in advance to really help organize uh, one's life for putting these applications together. Of course, the truth is it's not possible to keep up momentum perfectly all the time, but the better prepared in advance you are, the better able you are to get your applications in early, which is er very important in terms of being able to have last minute fix-its if the organization allows you to do so, and to also keep yourself as low stress as possible and to keep your writing as clean and as good as possible. So in organizing your life, I highly recommend that people do calendars with deadlines. Corporations often use things called drop deadlines, which means that that's the absolute deadline. And then they actually back the deadline up a week or even two weeks prior to that as their soft deadline. I also recommend that. It gives you some nice wiggle room, especially if you tend to be a procrastinator, as a lot of artists tend to be. Keeping outlines of your projects and your artist statements and all the materials required on hand and available is extremely important and allow plenty of time for re revisions and probably the best piece of advice I can offer besides of course following the directions of the organization as clearly as possible is to have an editor. Uh, I've worked with my father actually who uh, at times has been a professional editor and I often call on my friends and peers to read my proposals to make sure that they sound good because the truth is we sound different to ourselves than we do in a proposal a lot of times. So in terms of preparing the proposal it sounds easy but the truth is to keep all of this information updated and on hand requires vigilance on the part of the artist. So I try to allocate at least a couple of hours every month as a professional artist myself to making sure that my artist statements and my DVDs and work samples, CV, and all of the things that are relevant to my applications are updated to the point where I don't have to spend additional hours when I've got an, an actual grant deadline. But to give you a picture of what support materials one should really have on hand, DVDs, CDs, and video, if um, applicable. A lot of organizations are requesting PowerPoints, so CDs, even if you're not a media artist, uh, CDs and DVDs at this point can sometimes be extremely helpful. I've seen an organization even require a .mov for visual artists, so the media landscape is pretty extensive in terms of what an artist needs to consider. Slides will still occasionally be required. Printouts of materials are very helpful, printouts of reviews, of obviously your project proposal, but any support materials that could be interesting in cases where you're allowed to submit it. Uh, your CV and artist statement, please visit the College Art Association's guidelines for really perfect, I use them all the time when I work with artists, really excellent guidelines on how to prepare both an artist resume and a CV, a curriculum vitae. They are very different, but they are both excellent exercises in getting all of your information in one place, and organizations will sometimes ask for one as opposed to the other. Artist statements you will find over your career that 
you have to have a lot of versions. Some of them are about an entire body of work. Some of them may be about a specific body of work. So keeping those fresh is very important. And then, of course, project descriptions. When we're talking about the restricted funding, those tend to be anywhere from 500 words up to 10 pages, depending on the kinds of organizations and things that the organizations are looking for. And even in some rare cases will require footnoting. Be careful to spend plenty of time and allow plenty of time for those project descriptions to be as rich as possible. So in creating a successful written proposal, it's both complicated and extremely simple. Of course, the most simple things tend to be the most complicated. But the easiest thing that I try to help artists uh, grasp, both for their artist statement and for their project proposals, is to simply take the who, what, why, when, where, and how and answer those questions. A lot of organizations will have very specific questions that they ask, and that makes it a lot easier for artists, but in many cases they don't. And so one has to create their own budget and their own project description, and that can be very confusing. So I suggest that artists really start with that who, what, why, when, where, and how, answer those compellingly and correctly, and generally speaking that can be the skeleton for any project proposal that one would uh, have to do. In some cases, if it's audience-specific or site-specific, an artist would have to undertake a lot more research on um, the specifics of a location in terms of size and technologies and things like this. But that's research that's really separate from being able to describe a project in a good way. Formatting. One thing I always mention to artists is it's very easy to to try to throw a curveball and be special. Um, The truth is, with the number of applications which are ever-increasing, organizations want to get through these applications easily and expeditiously. I've spent a lot of time on panels myself and really want to be able to understand the artist as quickly as possible. So following formats, if they're available to you, is great. If they aren't, using a legible font, making sure you have headers that help direct information, understanding that sometimes reviewer may only have enough time to read the first couple of paragraphs and that that could be what is compelling enough to move them forward or not. And even in cases where it's not specified, using bolds to really uh, highlight your thesis statement or particular budget items can be a great way to create formatting that, um, that that is easy to read. This is not an exercise, as you'll hear from many other professional development experts, this is not an exercise in impressing someone with your knowledge of Derrida. This is an exercise in making clean, clear language that will compellingly help them understand your proposal and your artwork. I wish that we had a video component today because what I'd love to share with you is the sample budget that I um, have developed over time, gleaning from multiple sources. The good news is that many organizations will provide you a budget, and the bad news is is that some will not. What I do is I really split it, um, if you don't have a template to go by, I split it into project expenses and project income. And the reason for that is most organizations are happy to see an artist undertake research and effort in trying to find other grant sources and other ways to fund a project. 
So the way I set up the budget is I describe all of my expenses and then I have an expense total for the project and then I have an income and I subtract whatever income there is from the project's expense in order to create a total request. So very briefly, some of those project expenses could be anything from personnel to travel to equipment and supplies to in some rare cases paying yourself. Many organizations will be very specific about what they will and won't fund, but sometimes they're not. And these are some of the main categories you can use. In project income, other grants, uh, ticket revenues and in-kind contributions are wonderful ways to show that you have other sources of support and that this project is going to take place regardless of whether a particular organization decides to fund you. It's also an excellent way for you to keep notes and records on what you do. There are many formats for budgeting, but you need to make it easy to read. I suggest Excel is a really great way to just have a template in place so that everything adds up properly, is readable, if you don't know Excel, it's a pretty easy program. With a few quick Googles, you can learn enough to figure out how to add up your totals so they're correct and use the uh, columns and formulas so that they're correct. And one thing I want to point out again, if the granting organization clearly states they don't cover a particular expense, create an income line to cover that expense. Show them that you're going to figure out how to pay personnel for instance, if they're not going to cover it. The more you can show that you have your whole project holistically considered, the more compelling your project is going to be. One thing I want to uh, really state to artists about final reporting and protocols that even if an organization does not require final reporting, that you stay in touch with those organizations through thank you notes and through some kind of uh, informal final reporting protocol whether it's just an email or a letter, to let them know what you're doing because those people become part of your network. And uh, conversely, you can also help that organization compellingly raise money for their projects by letting them know that the monies that they, um, that they give are effective. So always thank the people that give you, um, give you the funding that they do or, or the services that they do. Uh, I'm going to leave you today with some good news, and that is that there are a couple of new books that are coming out specifically on professional development and on this topic. For a long time, there really weren't good grant resources for individual artists, so this world has been kind of complicated for artists to navigate on their own. But there's a woman named uh, Gigi Rosenberg who has a book that's going to be published by the end of the year uh, specifically on grants for individual artists. And then Stacy Miller and Angie Wojak are coming out with a book published by Allworth Press on professional development, and that will include some information on grant writing. In addition, um, I hope you'll also listen to Jackie Battenfield's uh, podcast. Jackie Battenfield wrote a wonderful book called The Artist's Career Guide, which covers some of this information as well. And Jonathan Melber's Artwork, which is an excellent guide as well. So we're, we're living in an era where there's more information than ever before on these topics for artists and I wish all of you lots of luck in your careers and go out and get a lot of grants. Thanks so much.